and welcome to the All Japan Women's Destiny podcast. I'm your host, JD. Welcome to another episode as we go through the history of All Japan Women's Professional Wrestling through the classics episodes that you can find uh, on various places of the internet. I vastly encourage to follow along and learn and enjoy the history of this just awesome women's wrestling promotion of the past. This is a spin-off in conjunction with the Red Leaf Retrocast. That is the proper episode where these come from. We hope you enjoy our audio and our uh, discussions over the various wrestlers and the matches in which we go through the ages. If you like what you hear and you want more content, please consider checking out the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash redleafretrocast, all one word, where we also cover LLPW, various other uh, women's wrestling promotions of the past, and the project that the whole reason it exists is the Joshi 2010's journey, where we go through coming out of the dark ages of Joshi professional wrestling and really learning and having fun with wrestlers that we're very familiar with to this day to ones that we may have missed out on. I hope you enjoy the audio you're about to hear covering AJW. And if you want more, please, again, consider signing up to the Patreon and leaving us reviews over at iTunes, Spotify, and the like, all your favorite podcasting outlets in which you listen to AJW and the Redley Fletcher cast. Enjoy. And welcome, it's another Old Japan Women Destiny Time. We're on episode 71. We're doing Yokohama Dream Slam Part 2. Well, the show is Dream Slam 1. We did have Dream Slam in uh, Nagoya uh, back in November. Um, it was a, it was the first titled uh, Dream Slam event. And in 1993, it is the major interpromotional show. And in our previous episode, episode 70, I went through uh, most of the matches across the Classics episodes and realized in the Classics that the Classics wasn't going to cover Dream Slam 2 in Osaka, uh, which has really good matches on it and very important historically for Gates and Star Ratings and the uh, overall presentation of what and where All Japan Women, and really the scene, was heading uh, across 1993 for the rest of the year, and going into 1994, and then 95. So in the last episode, I praised the hell out of the opener of Hikari Fukuoka and Plum Mariko from JWP, defeating Kari Ito and Saki Asagawa. This was the match where Debbie Malenko was actually supposed to in it uh, initially, but she blew out her ankle, effectively ending her career. And Kari Ito stepped in, and everyone uh, really, really came out and showcased in that one. And obviously went over the double in a way, defeating Cutie Suzuki Miami Ozaki match, which is just a phenomenal showcase of the talent. Cutie Suzuki just massively impressed me. Yes, I have seen her before, but this was the massive appeal that the JWP wrestlers have. Uh, they're just different compared to the AJW crew, and that's mostly based off of uh, the presentation. They're going from they're going they're leaning more and more into the idol look. Uh, they're the ones that started the trend of more extravagant gear, moving away from the bathing suit era that AJW is very much part of, and and still kind of is, uh, respectively. Uh, we are seeing a lot more new gear show up. And for this Dream Slam 1 show on April 2nd, 1993, it is the debut of the Victory Through Guts mat, the all-white, black-and-white logo. Uh, I believe it is. I hadn't seen it on any classic episodes prior. I haven't seen it on any shows. 
So this this seems to be the the right uh, confirmation that this is the victory through guts era we have entered. And I have, <clears throat> and I actually got some feedback from a couple people uh, wondering why I was so down on the Kansai Hota match, and it's really based off of it's a lot of just the UWF style. I'm just not a fan of. Uh, they move really slow. Uh, what people th- people's opinion or at least viewpoint of the selling, I see it as kind of more of a uh, no-selling aspect. Uh, UWF just isn't my thing. And I also don't think Hoto's really all that good either. Uh, so, the although the build-up to the match was good because they showed videos of, like, Kansai from like a decade prior, getting rejected uh, from AJW when they were getting two, 3,000 uh, uh, applicants trying to become wrestlers, and she didn't make the cut while Hota did. Uh, so there's your... It, it had a good backstory, and uh, even in the post and pre-match comments, they went into that pretty well. The Aja Kong Bull Nakano taking on Eagle Swai and Harley Saito, I praise the hell out of. And that's going to go into more of the LLPW stuff as LLPW really got a lot of respect coming out of the show, uh, particularly from this match. And then what we will talk about in a little bit, the Akira Hokuto Kandori match uh, that became legendary in women's wrestling, or at least from the fandom. That really solidified the relationship of sharing talent uh, between the two promotions. Uh maybe even more so than JWP, at least in terms of putting on um, major shows collectively. And the LLPW crew wasn't afraid to take falls. Uh, as we learn more about that in the LLPW journey over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash retrocast, you can follow along monthly with uh, monthly LLPW reviews. But the LLPW shows in later in the summer, they start getting people like Aja Kong and Bull Nakano involved in storylines, and the LCO storyline continues way up into the point where I just reviewed recently the Akira Hokuto Rumi Kazuma hair versus hair match, kind of completing and tying the knot on that LCO versus versus LLPW. And I w- definitely wasn't high on the Kudo Combat Combat Toyota Yamada Toyota uh, Manami Toyota that is. Uh, main event. I was actually kind of uh, shocked that that was the main event, considering uh, kind of the mid card underneath it, especially that double in a way. But they like the tag titles weren't even on the line. And oddly enough, I was going through old like Pro Wrestling Torch articles, and there wasn't much there. Old observers trying to see what the deal was with trying to put the show together, and. It was really just trying to make money, uh, first of all. They wanted to capitalize on a new wrestling market because AJW has now uh, completely switched at this point in time to a lot of male fan wrestling fans, like actual wrestling fans, not the uh, n- not the idolistic culture that the 80s had with Chigusa Nagayo and Makfumiaki and all this crew. But if you listen to what I will talk about later, the Chigusa Nagayo Devil Masami match later, you hear a lot of those women back in the crowd screaming for Chigusa. So this attracted both sets of fans to the show. That's kind of where we stand. And I wanted to do something special here. I've I've pulled up a lot of those, uh, a few of those old observers, Wrestling Observer newsletters, uh, to see what the feel was from uh, one particular Dave Meltzer at the time in uh, his coverage of it. I also found it interesting uh some figures he was given and he got along with the time lapse between uh getting the show and reporting on it essentially uh even back then in 1993 because you compare that today where it's like oh i gotta wait like 24 hours to see the show because i'm busy that night and everything's uh, readily available generally unless you follow some other joshi promotions out there uh, but even in in the case of Stardom, if you didn't pay for the pay-per-view and you're only signed up to Stardom World, uh, which is mostly what I do these days, the uh, the wait time is anywhere from, you know, three, five, seven days. 
after the after the event. Uh, okay, so Dream Slam won. Uh, All Japan women. This is a. I'm gonna. I'm, I wanted to. I ended up reading through this whole thing, and I I kind of want to read uh, almost word for word this this paragraph here. It's it's um, not that extensive, but uh, it is from Dave Meltzer. He goes, "All Japan women pulled off the biggest uh, promotion in group's history, setting several records with its 25th anniversary All Star Dream Slam show April 2nd at Yokohama Arena." As expected, the show drew the largest crowd in the history of both the promotion and women's wrestling in Japan with a sellout of 16,500 fans. Some seats were blocked off for the ramp and other special effects in the arena that normally hold 17,000 for wrestling, of which 15,000 on this event was paid. While this wasn't the largest crowd to ever see in all women's wrestling show, uh, the record, and he makes some Mildred Burke references for 19,000. It may have been the largest anywhere in the world over the past 40 years. And this got me thinking, I'll stop there. This got me thinking about some other uh, past gates with the uh, various Crush Gals show, the Chigusa Nagayo retirement show, the uh, Beauty Pair, and Jackie Sato selling out like Budokan. And no, they did not have as many fans and you can guess by uh inflation that the show actually did also have um or it did make more money as well so i'll i'll read on uh from there while a japanese record crowd was expected a sellout was not about five thousand a ticket so five thousand of those tickets were walk-ups with huge lines forming in the early afternoon while we don't have the uh, exact gate figure for the card. I, referencing of Meltzer himself, was told uh, that with the high scale ticket prices, up to $255 ringside uh, was in the neighborhood of what New Japan generally does in PAX Arena. New Japan, with these same ticket prices, has done $1.5 million in the building, and although I doubt that the gate was quite at that level. Uh, and that's probably fair. The the back-end tickets and trying to unload uh, cheaper seats were probably and generally cheaper. But that does give you an idea that they're probably in the million-dollar range uh, for this show. The only minute money fig- figure I do know is that sales of the program, the wrestling program promoting the show alone, uh, were $68,000 in total as they sold out before the first match even began. Certainly, they shattered and probably more than doubled the previous gate record for a women's wrestling show anywhere in the world, set by even the same promotion in the same building four years earlier for the Chigusa Nagayo retirement card. There you go. There's that part. Uh, In addition, it was believed to have been the longest wrestling show in the history of Japan, starting at 6.30 p.m. with the final match ending just after midnight at 12.21 a.m. Traditionally, major shows in Japan end around 9 p.m., and I believe this was the first regular starting house show to last past midnight. And then he references a wing show that ran a TV taping past midnight to 5 a.m. JWP did a live television shoot from 1.30 a.m. to 5 a.m. last August uh, for reference, but uh, between 12 and 13,000 fans still remained in the building for the finish of the main event with a large clump leaving just as the final match was getting started because the final train to Tokyo left at midnight. So that's referencing that people risked staying for the Akira Hokuto Kandori match because uh, that match had so much heat and excitement to it that they risked not being able to make the, the last train into Tokyo. So that FMW... Uh, AJW, Manami Toyota, and uh, Toshio Yamada match uh, had, you know, three, 4,000 less people in the building, but that shows how much this show meant to fans, and they wa- they clearly felt like they were watching history in some capacity. Let's see, where was I? Uh, since the, uh, yes, since the bouts consisted of all Japan women facing wrestlers from other promotions in each match, 
with the promotional rivalries and egos involved, some matches had cooperation issues, as reported. Uh, maybe true, but uh, I didn't really get that feeling from many of the matches out there. But it, it, it was a sense of pride to not get kind of showboated and bodied by your other promotion. So maybe there were some spots here and there that it's like, wait, no, I'm going to run the ropes. Stop. I'm not looking weak in this, in this uh, beginning moment because you wanted to set the first impression. Because we can't forget that prior to this, this show and the uh, Dream Slam labeled show from uh, 1992, that AJW was still very much the prominent women's promotion. So when it came to JWP and LOPW, many wrestling fans out there weren't aware of the promotion, especially even on the level that AJW was. So again, these are probably a lot of fans seeing these wrestlers for the first time and may have, maybe have just heard about them in magazines and whatnot, uh, or at least a, a large chunk. And this also brings up an interesting point that uh, the uh, overall consensus was it's because this was interpromotional and it's because so many of the matches were just pitted against each other. There was no like joining teams or anything, which is relevant to right now because Forbidden Door happened, New Japan and AEW. And then you can even reference earlier this year, the HAW, uh, New Japan, uh, AEW, and the New Japan Noah show where uh, there were two distinctly different choices. Where wh- Whereas the AEW Forbidden Short Door show, yes, it had a few interpromotional matches, like the Claudio Casanoli Zack Sabre Jr. match, and then the Tanahashi Moxley match. But there was a lot of matches also where it was a mishmash of various AEW wrestlers teaming with New Japan wrestlers. And so the New Japan could pin another New Japan guy. Uh, you never really felt like one promotion was being pitted above another in that case. And then, contrastly, the Noah show had a lot of just regular tag matches and uh, not really a true interpromotional show. So these, the other thing is both those shows sold out instantly on announcement because it really gathers a lot of fan interest. So very much relevant to dream slam one here where it was very much that, but because these people really had these wrestlers in 93 hadn't really interacted with each other before. It was a first of a first of a first kind of situation. And every match had some sort of specialty to it. And pre-match interviews of going, I don't want my company to look weak. I I have to stay strong and and beat this promotion uh, to show that we are the best. It was it's a very different mentality, but also wanting to put on the best show possible for the fans. And I really figured, I mean, yes, AJW did win uh, the most important things, uh, as we've seen on the LOPW journey over on the Patreon. That when AJW's involved, uh, the Matsunagas don't lose, brother, kind of situation. And they're even cutting promos that the company is weaker. And you see that throughout this show and post-match interviews where I knew they couldn't uh, match up to us AJW wrestlers. And uh, if they lost, they feel embarrassed and disappointed in themselves as wrestlers that they were they have shown weakness to this other promotion. So very much... I get it's all promotional material, but when you add it all together, you're just like, okay, I get it. I get it. So Meltzer writes on uh, very briefly uh, as follows. Uh, all the women debuted new ring outfits, so make it seem like this was different from uh, from the everyday show. From an audience standpoint, I'm told it was considered one of the most spectacular shows ever in Japan, and a videotape of the show is expected to be released in three or four weeks. Which will, which there will be a three video series, <laughs> lasting six hours. So three separate VHS tapes. So pretty, uh, pretty incredible stuff when you uh, look at it that way. Between the time frame, time lapse, uh, uh, just anticipating the events um, over and over and over again in your head to see what's going on there. So I will move on to the April. That was the April 12th, 1993 Observer. So a week after the event, I move on to April 26th, 1993. And he, and he goes as follows. I had the chance to see the Dream Slam one show on handheld video. Love the verbiage. 
Uh, it was definitely one of the greatest wrestling shows ever. The only drawback is maybe there was too much wrestling for one show, as six hours may be overkill. <laughs> well, here we are. I'm, I have to do, I am doing a two-part episode just on Dream Slam 1 because it's such a massive show and I wanted to cover the whole thing. So there you go. The only drawback is, oh yeah, okay. Uh, instead of producing it as a show to fit a time limit, it seemed like in eight of the 11 matches, everyone out there was trying to have the best match of their career since it was the biggest crowd any of them had ever worked in front of. With time restraints, be damned. <laughs> and, you, and you feel that on the show. And I'll reference Forbidden Door again. When there's a packed, high-octane fire crowd the wrestlers are motivated beyond reason, and they want to put on the best show, not just for themselves, but also for the fans. Uh, motivation is is huge, and I've been very critical of the Joshi scene here in 2022, and that I can't say they're phoning it in, but the motivation is low. I mean, obviously, there's going to be more motivation to wrestle in front of a crowd of 1,200 at Corican over 100 at Shinkiba first ring. That's just the way it is. You're, you're much, your your adrenaline levels go go way higher when there's, uh, you know, ten times the crowd in front of you and screaming. That was largely the case, as it had more great matches than any Starcade and was easily superior as an overall show to the 1989 Baltimore Bash and Music City Showdown that are largely remembered as the best major U.S. shows of the past five years. So there's a uh, and as someone who has watched all those Starcade, which you can listen to on the Patreon, I watched every single one from uh, 1980. What was that? Three to 1997. Uh, and I have 1998 on uh, audio as well from my WCW reviews. So I agree. This was better than any Starcade show I had ever seen. <laughs> Uh, they also did what WCW should and no doubt won't do for the legends. They had 21 of the most famous retired wrestlers in their 25-year history of the company come out to do original entrance music, walk down the aisle while tape is playing on the big screen of the finish of the match with them winning a major title, or in this case of Dump Matsumoto making a spectacular ring entrance because she never won a title uh, in the promotion, which is... Uh, which is something I've referenced uh, throughout the 80s when I was going over the classics. So you've seen them walking down the aisle today, superimposed on the big screen of them in their prime. So there you go. Uh, considering what the ticket prices were, the combined gates of the two All-Star Dream Slam shows may have approached $2 million. And that isn't taking uh, gimmick sales into account, so merch and programs and whatnot. And the videos went for 177 to $155 respectively, and it doesn't take an awful lot of sales for that to add up to some hefty numbers. And then he goes on uh, with some uh, various results in there. So yeah, that was <coughs> excuse me, that was the combined All-Star Dream shows, including Osaka, which we'll cover in the next episode. <coughs> Man. Okay. So, I'm trying to look for the star ratings of what uh, Meltzer gave this, and I know Cage Match has them up, but I wanted to kind of gauge if there was some interesting quips of the ma of his little match reviews, and I came across this. May 17th, 1993, Observer Newsletter. Uh, the FMW show on May 5th, where it was the massively crazy Terry Funk Onita match, on that same card came the fastest-paced match of the show as, quote, FMW's Combat Toyota and Megumi Kudo defeated All Japan Women's ta Top Tag Team Manami Toyota and Toshu Yamada in 22 minutes, 17 seconds, when Megumi Kudo pinned Manami Toyota after a double arm lock from behind into a German suplex. This was them. This was AJW returning the favor for FMW women, putting them over on the All Japan Women uh, Dream Slam one show at Yokohama last month. So, my interpretation of that is yes, it was returning the favor, but it also screams to me that Onita remains the best, one of the best politickers and grifters in wrestling of all time. This man, I believe, booked his women into the main event as, and he has the 
the silver tongue, the spoon in his mouth, the 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 uh, <laughs> the tonsils of trade, what whatever. The <laughs> uh, Onita somehow praised his women up so much, and because they've also been on just massive shows on the same cards as he has, uh, with this FMW explosion of popularity, that. His two women, Kudo and Combat Toyota, and Combat Toyota, I believe, are they, they, those two also have their AJW roots as well, uh, grifted them into the main event, even though they probably shouldn't have, and then got them to also return the favor a month later. And honestly, this kind of checks out because LLPW, when they work with the FMW women, uh, has similar give and take to it all. The FMW feud on the LLPW reviews uh, has a major kind of storyline uh, involving Norio Tateno, and she's kind of at the crux of it uh, of this. And you see people like um, uh, Mickey Honda and Eagle Sawai and company going over to FMW, and while Eagle Sawai is not doing jobs, plenty of others are as they return the favor uh, accordingly. And then finally, I know I'm, I know this is going long, but I really wanted to do something special uh, for this particular half of Dream Slam One. And finally, we got a few of the results as uh, he got a hold of the tape, he reviewed them, got some star ratings, and the fact we go on to May thirty first, nineteen ninety three. So almost two full months later after the event, it finally showed on uh, television of some sorts. Um, with uh, clipped matches and uh, highlighting uh, various other matches from the show. But uh, here we go. Uh, Kyoko Inoue, Takako Inoue beat Kyuji Suzuki, Mayu Mizaki. This was from Dream Slam 1, in my opinion, the best match of the show. This is from Meltzer. Uh, this was a match. This match was fantastic in every way from start to finish. Both Kyoko and Ozaki were incredible, particularly Kyoko in both working the crowd, which is going wild from start to finish. And in doing hot moves out of nowhere. Suzuki, cutie, was a lot better than I remembered her. And Takako is actually a good worker now as well. But isn't in the elite category. And sometimes because she's marketed as the pretty girl of the group. That she doesn't get the respect for being as good as she is. There you go. So the idolistic presentation... uh even back then, doesn't get the respect for the for the wrestlers being good workers. And that's kind of relevant to today with a lot of the Joshi wrestlers showing up in the United States, whether it's Shida, Riho, um, Maki Ito with the idolistic presentation to them and people just brush them off immediately, especially in the we in Western culture. But you're even seeing that here in his review back in 1993. And perhaps it has something else to do with the Japanese a new male wrestling fan base uh, looking at these women, um, well, the way they are and kind of brushing off pretty girl vibes. Let's see here. There were so many great moves here that I can't even describe him, writes Meltzer. Highlights included Kyoko doing a 38 repetition giant swing on Suzuki and Suzuki and Ozaki alternating uh, five leaps off the top rope, landing on both feet uh, with both feet on the stomach on the chest of Kyoko. After all sorts of near falls, Kyoko held Ozaki up in a shoulder breaker, and Takako came off the rope and spiked her down by the throat and pinned her. Five stars gives the Big Dave Man. Uh, and he gave the Bull Nakano Aja Kong match four stars. <clears throat> so there you go. Uh, that's what I wanted to bring up for. Uh, Dream Slam and how it was covered, the time frame we're talking about, and uh, what was going on here. So, <clears throat> now for my opinions over the various um, matches on these shows. So, the ones we missed uh, were Rumi Kazuma, Miki Honda of LOPW, uh, taking on and defeating. Suzuka Manami and Etsuko Mita in 22 minutes, 27 seconds. Then there was Chigusa Nagayo's in-ring return match after retiring four years ago against Devil Masami, in which Masami 
uh, beats her in 17 minutes, 28 seconds. And then the match of legend Akira Hokuto pinning Shinobu Kandori of LLPW in 30 minutes, 27 seconds after a double juice bloodbath of a match. I loved all three of these matches. Now, I think, I still think the uh, Kuti Suzuki, Mayu Miyazaki against uh, Double In Away was the best match on the show. I do agree with that. And I also think it's, uh, it is my number two match in AJW history is where I'm slotting that in uh, at this point in time. It's still behind the Chigusa Nagayo Devil Masami match uh, from uh, 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 summer... Uh, the, the, the big August summer show that was in 1985. Uh, that is still my AGW match uh, of the of well of the promotion. Uh, I still haven't seen anything quite to that level and that ferocity with that kind of finish and uh, very much different. But the uh, the cutie Suzuki match, uh, at least in tag teams, uh, lived up to. Uh, quite a quite a lot of others, and just off the top of my head, some others I was thinking of was the tag match from last November that was really good, um, the Akira Hokuto Kandori match that was on this very show, the various hair versus hair matches that we've seen so far with uh, like Toyota and Yamada themselves, Dump Matsumoto, Chigusa Nagayo. I it was pretty easy for me to come to the conclusion, at least for my fandom and my opinion, that those two are the best. So, uh, Rumi Kazuma, as we know from the LLPW journey, and they even uh, reference this in pre-match interviews, is she's the president of LLPW. She runs the shit. And uh, they're really trying to hit home that maybe she's not really the best wrestler. She's more of a businesswoman kind of situation. And uh, if you notice something from the LLPW crew, and I love referencing this, on the LOPW journey on the Patreon is their gear and presentation is still something straight out of the mid to late 1980s. Rumi Kazuma is like the entire embodiment of that, where she's got the big, thick, curly hair. She's got the huge body one suit with the frills on her shoulders and and uh, uh, going down on her sleeves. It's uh, it's pretty funny. Mickey Honda's got the uh, just straight up kind of bowl cut type look. And you got Suzuka Minami and Etsukomita. Suzuka Minami and Etsuko Mita are like 5758 respectively. They tower, tower over the very much smaller Cosma and Honda here. So and and the pre-match interviews also make reference to their height advantage where Mita uh, was uh, convinced by Akira Hokuto to go back to her kind of Kenochi type look that she's got going on. And it's kind of it's it's always funny that uh uh Five seven, five eight, five nine in Japan is considered giantess when that's like the normal height here in the United States for uh, like a women's wrestler. But regardless, uh, the interviewer referenced that to Mita, and she just goes, "Yes, I I am much stronger and bigger than these uh, weakling LLPW women. It would be embarrassing to lose in this situation." So Cosmo pinned Mita with a uh, German suplex, and. I've read, and Meltzer even here says he heard mixed reports, and I read mixed reports uh, myself when uh, finding other people who have, who have done this show, uh, and there's also others like myself that were much higher on this on this match than others, and uh, I think a lot of us have come across the uh, Scott Blog of Doom site, and he himself... Uh, uh, wrote over this match, and uh, he was much higher on it than Dave Meltzer, who I believe gave the match uh, like three and a half uh, stars to it. Uh, yeah, he only gave it three and a half. Scott Blog of Doom went four and a quarter. And uh, I'll just read a, a an excerpt from the blog here. A really good, hard-fought match with a solid story. The smaller LLPW girls having to use teamwork to deal with Mita usually via double teams and good reversals instead of her partner, especially once the AJW girls started to gain momentum. This was the Mita show through and through, through, and with, with her doing all the great character stuff, 
uh, though not many big moves. The LLPW, LLPW girls were fast and hit some nice stuff, while Minami just came off as generic, to be honest, but good enough in that role. Her power bombs and Tilt World backbreakers were awesome. So yeah, there was. Uh, I've I've definitely come across a lot of people that think and see Suzuka Minami as this kind of generic mid carder. And honestly, she never she going through the eighties, seeing her debut, seeing her various pushes in the in the uh, mid to late eighties. Uh, she was one of the one of the top workers and uh well uh, a de- much depleted and different roster at the time but you know she had her white belt run her all pacific run she had her uh, rivalry with hokuto uh the the tag team scene was very much uh, viewed as different back then and i really like what suzuka minami has brought and in, in at the end of 1992 and going through 1993 here especially with her showing up in lopw uh, she's fantastic. I love Suzuka Minami, so I definitely disagree with that. But when you go back and you're and you start in the '90s and you are just first exposed to Suzuka Minami when she's yes, she is a mid carter at this time. She still has some veteran uh, respect to her, though, and I think that gets glossed over quite quite often with her. So the match itself really really focused on Etskomita because she was going to be taking the fall and the finish i thought was very hot with Cosma hitting her high kicks uh doing essentially rolling germans until finally pinning, pinning her uh i'm i'm not at the full 3 kind of vibe on this match but i'm definitely going at like a high 2 out of 3 recommendation here i really do love this match and i'm going to be honest it was actually Mickey Honda who who didn't impress the most in this and if you've listened to the LOPW reviews, as 1993 goes on, she gets more and more matches like this, and she gets clearly more and more comfortable coming out of her skin and getting much more confident in the ring and hitting bigger and bigger moves until finally she gets like posted by Aja Kong at the big event in November in LOPW. But regardless, she has a very, very good uh, 1993, and it sure looks like it kind of all starts here. Just kind of cool to see. So then we move on to Chigusa Nagayo and <laughs> Devil Masami. This was so good. Uh, let's see. Did Meltzer give this match a star rating? Does not seem to be the case. This one was uh, very interesting. So. Pre-match interview, Chigusa Nagayo's in there, and she is uh, she's gained some weight. And the interviewer was very adamant to let her know that oh, you've gained a lot of weight. Can you keep up with active wrestlers today? And Chigusa Nagayo uh, makes it come across as a joke of sorts, but she also recognizes that yes, she has gained a lot of weight over the last few years, uh, and actually she looks more menacing this way because she is she is bigger. Because when you see when you watch old JWP. And you see Devil Masami in there. She towers over all of those fellow JWP wrestlers. And Shigusa Nagaya was like right with her nose to nose. Uh, so she is anything but small. So Devil Masami uh, recognizes that in her interview that, yes, she's used to now wrestling much smaller wrestlers. She's going to have to put on a more power show and prove to uh, prove to her and her peers that, um, yes, Nagayo can't be... Uh, uh, taken lightly, but she also hasn't wrestled in a number of years. So back to the Nagayo interview, uh, they the interviewer asked her, "Oh, is there any chance uh, of your in-ring return?" And she goes, "No, no, no, no way. I couldn't even run a lap around the arena. It's so big. I got I got uh, halfway and I had to take a break. I was out of breath." And she also goes, "I am not returning to wrestler. I am an actress now." <laughs> she even does that in the post-match interview where she goes, I am Shigusa Nagayo, an actress, not professional wrestler. <laughs> so I love it. Very good. Um, and I do want to mention that uh, I, I'm, I, I found a different copy of this online, and there were also post-match little interviews with all of the legends. And the, the my favorite one, I just wanted to put this out, was uh, Jaguar Yakota. She's 30. She's single and she's ready to mingle with some hot men. <laughs> and so she's looking for a man. 
<laughs> Jaguar Yakota. Okay. So I wanted to know what uh, the various blogs and Meltzer thought of this match. Because my thoughts were this match ruled ass. I love this one. I don't think it's nearly as good as their 1985 title match. Uh, no way. I mean, that's not close. However, Devil Masami has found so much more character work over the last few years since she's left AJW and joined JWP. And she kind of has to have this brooding giantess figure to her in the ring. And Nagayo, she's got the objective of not embarrassing herself, but she also really puts over a kayfabe fact that she hasn't wrestled in four years and everyone's so much better now. And she puts over the young talent and puts over her senpai, Devil Masami, knowing that she's still been active and will probably whoop the shit out of her. But she'll give it her best try. And best try, she certainly did. Shigusa Nagayo, look, she's not hitting her lightning-fast German suplexes that she used to, but she is still she still has that presence and credibility to her That and how Devil Masami sells these high kicks during the match uh, is phenomenal. It's really good. Masami is such a good worker. She's definitely up there as one of my top five of all time. And when Nagayo does knock her down and Masami finally goes down, Nagayo doesn't like stand there and go to the crowd. She she gets back set up in in a martial arts position and then just lays into her some more as she's on the ground. Because wh- what's the best time to beat your opponent? When they're on their knees. <laughs> so that was the match here. There was really good lariat exchanges where because they're so much bigger and Masami just just lighting her up, getting her into the corner, coming off the like. The UWF style of that Hota Kansai match. Wasn't as good as this, and they weren't even going for that kind of match. They were just doing professional wrestling and selling the fact that they're both big and they need to lay it in even harder to knock their opponent down. These weren't clotheslines. These were lariats in this case. Uh, really good stuff here. Just constantly going on. Uh, and let's see here. Uh, let's see. What did... So Meltzer does not go into much over the match itself other than putting over Chigusa Nagayo is one of the greatest uh, women's draws of all time, including Makafumiyaki. Uh, let's see. Do-do-do. So I guess I'll go check out the blog here. Um, biggest match so far. Nagayo is one half of the crush girls, blah, blah, blah. He does a little introduction there. Um, Nagayo appears to not, to have not lost a step hitting suplexes and stuff, but the Japanese have a thing where you always lose your return match. Ring rust is practically, is practically enforced. So she can't just get it together against her foe for the most part. She has no answer for the final stretch. Starts as she misses a kick in the corner, allowing Devil to just increase the damage of her moves, and the bout escalates further as uh, Masami hits three power bombs. Masami gets a psychotic look on her on her face and screams "Power bombo!" And finally, Devin hits a freak. Devil hits a freaking Northern Light suplex for the win, seventeen twenty-seven. And I must say, when Nagayo. Got hit with that first power bomb. I thought we were done. Done street here. She kicks out. Does a second one. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. We gotta, we gotta keep her credible. She kicks out again. I'm like, what the fuck? And even Devil Masami gets the gets the wacky face. Like, are you kidding me? She gets a third one, and she still barely kicks out. I'm like, what is going on here? This was like Japanese strong style as its finest. It was, it was uh, King's Road. Uh, maybe even we're we're going Tam's Road these days. This 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 finishing stretch was so good. Crowds chanting Chigusa like uh, like crazy. This was a, a old school '80s power match, and I loved it. Uh, I'm I went like four and a half on this. This was so good. I absolutely adored it, and it's I think that has a lot to do that it's different than a lot of the go 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 that we're used to and seeing a lot of these. Uh, well, I'll call them modern wrestlers. Uh, the Toyotas and such, the, that that generation. Masami and Nagayo just have incredible chemistry w- with each other. It's it's uh, it, you can't miss it. And that'll take us into the last match: the Akira Hokuto versus 
Shinobu Kandori. Miss Credible marketing herself as the best women's wrestler in the world. They post that in the pre-match interviews as well. Uh, Kira Hokuto is um, questioned about this, and she references the... Uh, she goes, uh, only Kandori sees herself as the best in the rest- best in the world. She tells herself that. Uh, the sass and confidence up, uh, uh, around Akira Hokuto is incredible with her... Uh, what is the Japanese term? for Akira Hokuto's entrance look. I believe it is called a no, like N-O-H. I believe that's what it is. She got a katana and like the no gear. I, I, I think that's the right terminology. But um, yeah, as you guess, I, I since I'm on um, Melter Rhetoric here, uh, let's just read the match because this is a match of legend. It's a double juice job. There's a pile driver through a table on the outside, uh, which Hokuto, which the table doesn't break, but Hokuto's head leaves a indention in the table, and that's where Hokuto comes up, uh, zombie bleeding. Uh, and as you know on this one, I don't go by the Mudo scale here. I go by the Nagayo scale from those Dump Matsumoto, Chigusa Nagayo rivalries. How much on the Nagayo scale was this? Well, we're not doing TV Nagayo. We're doing big pay-per-view, large event, 10,000-plus people in the arena bleed cut job hokuto is the full crimson mask she's going full blood later in the match kandori gets a little blood on her she was kind of on the uh not even low end nagayo blade job this was like house show it's just kind of like a small cut dribbles down her face goes on her nose uh kind of seemed like like a shoot headbutt came off her kind of situation it's just trickling down but this was good uh this match was on the uh uh, cover of Weekly Pro Magazine. Um, two days before the card, and that was <clears throat> that was rare because uh, women just wouldn't make the cover because women's wrestling still had very much a, a stigma back then. And this match had a lot of credibility to it, especially with uh, Kendori involved and her credibility with the media and just wrestling fans in general because of her martial arts background. So Kendori is definitely a product of the right place right time and she's got this like antonio Inoki look to her with the pompadour and the kimono deal uh just looks exactly like him <laughs> in a lot of ways very much on purpose uh so let's see here Meltzer, what's he got to say at the press conference a few days before the card everyone was respectful uh, respectful of everyone else when they were brought up to discuss their matches. However, these two did an angle with them challenging one another and threw their shoe at the other, and they were held back from going at it. And, wh- and th- this was the uh, Weekly Pro Wrestling uh, cover. So yeah, that really uh, that reminds me of those builds of Nagayo and Dump Matsumoto, where, I mean, it's not as crazy as like Dump Matsumoto bringing like, a raw chicken and she's swinging it at reporters, but, you know, <laughs> same vibe situation here. Uh, from a fan standpoint, it was the most exciting match on the card because they went more than 30 minutes, both blood like crazy, and gave the aura that it was a complete shoot. It was the most exciting match on the card because they went more than 30 minutes, both blood like crazy, and gave the aura that it was a complete shoot as every submission move was sold like it was about to break an arm or a leg. So that's interesting that he points that out because when I watch these LOPW matches with Kandori, uh, it's really just the arm bar that's sold, as soon or or her knee bar. It's one of those two, and that always comes across in her matches, and that everyone always sells it like if they don't get out of this immediately, they're tapping, and they even book them that way. So that's a lot of credibility. And if you're seeing Kendori for the first time, which I suspect a lot of people were seeing her wrestle for the first time in a match like this, that's exactly how it came off as. Uh, so yeah, judo shooter reputation. Uh, Hokuto being the supreme worker probably amplified that once the match started. Hokuto juiced two minutes in after the pile driver on the table by the end was drenched in blood. Since Kandori had never juiced before, and apparently they had Wally Yamaguchi as a referee ringside cut both, and he cut Hokuto right above the eye and extremely deep. Kandori was cut twice but didn't bleed as much from the first cut. Hokuto was hospitalized after the match needed 15 stitches to close the cut with Hokuto's blonde hair turning red. Similar to 
1986 Dump Matsumoto Chigusa Nagao bloodbath in their hair match. There you go. In the final minutes, they made it appear as, as they both were about to pass out from exhaustion and blood loss. It ended up with both women knocked out from simultaneous KO punches, but Hokuto managing to drape her arm on Kendori to win. Uh, this match was so hot and bloody to set up a proposed hair versus hair match between the two, which will probably take place at the August 25th Budokan Hall show. So, lots of breakdown there with the match perspective, but yes, the match was extremely physical. Hokuto and Kendori jawjacking at each other in the in the ring. Hokuto screaming, you're going to have to break it to beat me kind of situation. And Kendori do, giving her the big thumbs down, no respect. And that's really an LOPW thing. You saw it in the Rumi Kazuma match earlier where she just goes thumbs down. Uh, a bit of a bit of an attitude going there. And the, the post matches were incredible with uh, just putting each other over. And uh, Hokuto saying, of course, that, you know, she's the best wrestler and nothing's going on there. But, yeah, this was definitely something reminiscent of the 1980s. Uh, I'd had the fire and fury that we all want to see out of a match like this. I am going, uh, I guess, big day four and three fourths. It's just above the Nagayo Masami match because it just had so much more heat. Uh, But I'm not going full five. Uh, for various reasons, but uh, like three out of three recommendation without question. It's um, it's up there as a match of legend for a reason. And I'm so glad we got to cover it the way we have. Uh, and I'm looking forward to Dream Slam 2 in Osaka, uh, where supposedly it's just a heavy work rate show as well. Uh, yeah, this I hope you enjoyed this this little Ultra Pan uh, Women Destiny here. We went uh, much longer uh, as the previous episode, because there was just a lot to talk about between these three matches, and I wanted to do something special for this particular episode. 